Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. All right, everyone, hello, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I'm joined by my buddies, Peter Overzet and Pat Crane. You may know them as the wildly successful hosts of Ship Chasing. <laughs> such an asshole. Uh, you, I mean, it's my favorite podcast, and I mean that entirely seriously. Uh, you also might know Pat from EstablishTheRun.com. You might know uh, Peter from... Uh, our book club with with Patrick Laird that uh, is just it's setting it's setting Twitter ablaze right now. But the 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 purpose of this here podcast we're we're all in like four to nine rookie drafts right now, depending on how on how sick uh, any of us are. So we thought we'd just talk through some observations from early rookie drafts, some rookie draft strategy. Um, you know, I think I think when you're there at four twelve, Pat. You just you just got to take Tyler Johnson sometimes in a league where your time frame of competing is like roughly twenty twenty three to twenty twenty five. Yeah, you got to do it, man. You know, the, especially when there's quarterbacks still on the board. By the time like rookie draft season is done, I mean, or even just whatever drafting season, people are so hype on this Bucks offense. I swear, like Bobo Wilson is going to be like the late round pick du jour by the end of uh, August. Well, I mean, by the end of August, Tyler Johnson will have been cut as someone who did not make the Tampa Bay Buccaneers roster. So that's a that's a tough scene. All right, Peter. First off, um, you, you and I we did this we did this um, you know quarantine snake draft league startup, and then Pat was in the auction. But uh, in the snake draft, you selected the first pick in the rookie draft, so the one hundred and one. The picks were in the pool. I think you took it took it at sixteen overall. Is that correct? Yeah, sixteen or eighteen overall. Mid second, yeah. So you obviously thought at the time that that pick was going to be Jonathan Taylor, right? And then Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Well, first of all, I guess we should say, do you agree that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire clearly the the top overall pick in rookie drafts? I wouldn't say clearly, um, but he is he is my number one pick. I'll also just say uh, when I took that pick, uh, that rookie pick, I knew I'd have some optionality with the Superflex draft. You never know how much of a premium the quarterbacks are going to be in. I did another one where the quarterbacks flew off the board. And so to have the out for that to be Burrow as well as your running back of choice. Um, but, yes, when I drafted that, I was assuming, you know, Taylor would be the first running back off the board um, in, in hopefully the late first round. Pat, what about what about you? Do you do you care to do you care to push back any at all on Clyde Edwards Hilaire one hundred and one? Do you want to be the the talent over situation guy right now? No, I, I like Edwards Hilaire as, as the one hundred and one. I think Taylor is a good value, very good value at the one hundred and two, but they just kind of ruined Marlon Mack. Like Marlon Mack could have been a he's not as talented as Taylor, but he has a three down skill set that could have been yeah know, he could have been fine yeah. yeah. 
Here's a thought experiment for you guys, because I had this situation. I had another startup uh, rookie draft where I had the 101, but it was half point PPR. Does that move it at all for you closer to Jonathan Taylor? No, because I, I th actually think a large chunk of Clyde Edwards Hilaire's value is going to come from touchdowns. Like, I don't, I don't think we expect him to record 250 touches as a rookie. I think that he, I think that he will have the lion's share of the split with Damian, but they're still going to play Damian a little bit. I just think that Clyde Edwards, I think that, I think that he might score. Like if he runs hot, he could score a touchdown a game just because of the way that that offense works. Yeah. The reason I wouldn't move him behind Taylor either is that Damian <coughs> Williams is a free agent. Um, Mac yeah. is also a free agent. So that's nice for Taylor, but you know, this could quickly become Edward Taylor's job. Um, and you know, there's touchdown upside there too. And, and we've yeah. always said, like, what was one of the, the, you know, most overused refrains last year? It was that we can survive 50-50 committees for fantasy. We just can't survive the three-way three committees. In the Kansas City, even if it's a 50-50, I mean, that's still going to be a, a very, very juicy role. I, I will take 50% of the Chiefs' backfield over 80% of the Jaguars' backfield for sure. Um, I, I think there is, though – I think there is a little bit of a concern with the Colts, even though they traded up for him, even though they spent the early pick on Jonathan Taylor. Pat, I, I think that Naheem Hines is still going to play a little bit. And I think that at least for the first half of the season, I think that we are in danger of a little bit of a, of a three-man committee in the Colts' backfield. I agree. I think that risk is real. The, the reason that I'm okay with it, to some degree, and I still have Taylor as my 102 in, you know, non-superflex drafts, is that Mac will be gone. There's no way they bring back Yeah, Mac. he will not be re-signed at all. Yeah, and then at that point, you've got Taylor and Naheem Hines, and Taylor's just so much bigger, and he's like as fast. He's, I think he's faster than Naheem Hines. So the, the chance that he just kind of shoves Naheem Hines aside as a sophomore, I think, is pretty good. And at that point, you're looking at like a dominant – fantasy running back so in in super flex peter do you think that burrow is pretty clearly the 103 or do you think that there is there's like a legit argument to select him over jonathan taylor i i i tend to think he probably is the clear 103 but i i would not argue it that much i guess yeah, to me, I, I think you can make a tiebreaker based on team needs, but I don't think Burrow is that elite level prospect um, coming out, you know, the Andrew Luck 101 type pick where it doesn't matter what your positional needs are. You just take well, the and, best and he out. also doesn't run, right? So, like, we know that that's a huge thing with prospects now. Like, if you're not going to run, like, I mean, what what is the max that a non running quarterback can finish, right? Like, I mean, I guess, I guess you just go full Mahomes, uh, but like, I don't even, I don't, you know, I, I don't even really know. Like I'm, I'm not that interested in getting super invested in non-run quarterbacks. In thinking about, because we all did these startup drafts that had the rookie picks included, like when you think about it. So in most of these drafts, I pulled up this one right now, the 103, which turned into Burrow went 311. And you're not taking like a top eight quarterback, even in super flex at the back end of the third round right? So even if we think that's where Burrow settles, it's like even a top six to seven, eight quarterback, you're still not taking him there in a startup draft. So um, I, I think he's definitely the 103 in Superflex. And even then, um, I do wonder about 
kind of his long-term upside. Pat, are you, well, okay. How are you thinking about rookie fantasy points in 2020? I, I think best case scenario we get a 16-game season without bye weeks. I don't think there's any scenario where we get extensive training camp. Um, we, w- there's not going to be rookie mini camps. There is not going to be OTAs. Like We know all of that pretty much for sure. So how, how tempered are you trying to be with rookie fantasy point expectation? Yeah, it's tough because I really like this class, but, but you make a good point. Um, I mean, one thing that I'm doing, we just completed this auction rookie draft and – the less, the less time we spend talking about that league, the better. I don't want to talk about that league. I don't want to talk about that league until 2023 when I'm, when I'm the perennial favorite. Give us a little yeah. nugget of, of uh, a fun trade, maybe, Pat. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I think we've already talked about Davis's um, immediate, immediate, immediate foray into tanking, and I feel like I've I've kind of cut. I've kind of no. You you are ahead with what you just did with Ezekiel Elliott. I would say you are probably ahead of me. The the one thing I would say is that I am now mega 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 long on Clyde Edwards Hilaire, and if he has a crazy rookie season, I think I will be able to beat the package you just got. You got to give people some context, Davis. They don't know what you're talking about. So in this in this auction league, I punted everything. We had three hundred dollars of a starting budget. I think I ended up trading away ninety dollars of my three hundred um, for twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two draft picks. I spent the, of that remaining like two ten. I spent about half of it on Patrick Mahomes, and then I spent the rest of it on the one hundred one and Noah Fant. And I have only one dollar players left. Other than that. However, basically in the middle of me doing this, Karain outflanked me by trading for people's entire 2022 drafts, taking advantage of the fact that the room started to tighten up. Um, and, and at this point now, Pat, you own three entire 2022 rookie drafts? Four. Because I still have my own. Correct. So I, I, got, I got outflanked. I will say, though, you, you, I mean, do you have anyone on your roster that you expect to be getting you points in 2023? Uh, yeah, I've got Jalen Rager, I've got uh, Jerry Judy, uh, I've got Kill Harry. But no one, no one that you bought in the, no one that you bought in the initial phase, just the rookie. Kill Harry if he if he pans out, yeah. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, and I've got Michael Thomas, who I'm gonna try to sell for the rest of the 2022 draft. Yeah, I think I think at this point to catch back up to you, I got, I'm gonna have to sell Mahomes. I think there there's not because you you just you were too good, you were too good. <laughs> What are you are you playing Dynasty or are you trying to keep do a one on one contest with Pat? I'm I just I can't I keep every every time every time I think I've pulled ahead in the tankathon, Karain Karain just finds a way to to tank even harder. It's it's very impressive. Alright, I'm it's, sorry, it, dude. I'll stop. I'll stop. You don't have to sell my homes. <laughs> I mean, I have Mahomes and Clyde Edwards Hilaire. What I mean, what else do I need, right? Like at that point? This all ends with Michael Thomas and Mahomes on Sean's roster. I know how this ends. 100%. <laughs> yeah, Sean I, Sean. I don't think I've tried to sell Michael Thomas to Sean multiple times already. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, he's just waiting to, to the right time to really squeeze the grips on you. Like, he'll, he'll, find, he'll find the right time where the value's at, like, it's absolute nadir, and, and he's going he's gonna to get him from you then for sure. Sean's yeah. like a giant python that, like, you, you know, the handler, like, puts around you, and it's, like, all fun and stuff, and you're like, oh, look at this. And, like, <laughs> next thing you know, he's just starting to suffocate the life out of you, and then you're dead. 
he was on the clock at I think the two oh three and the two oh four and Chenault and Ayuk were there. And I knew he was gonna take Chenault and Ayuk. So I just messaged him and I said, I'll give you Michael Thomas for all of your seconds. Because he had another three seconds after that and he just sent me a smiley face back. So to <laughs> and me, then he took Chenault and Ayuk. To me, on that note, I think one of the most interesting things going on in rookie drafts and the biggest inefficiency in rookie drafts right now is people taking guys like Cam Akers and DeAndre Swift ahead of guys like Rager and Jefferson, and then a little bit later taking Keyshawn Vaughn ahead of guys like Chanel. So and that's, that's really bad. I, Keyshawn Vaughn yeah. is, is, is going to be one of the most overdrafted rookie draft players ever, I think. Ever. He's a third-round pick. And he's going ahead of these. And, like, pre-draft, no one was really that excited about him. And then he's going ahead of, like, Chenault and sometimes, like, Ruggs. Like, this is – it's crazy. Are you there were, there, there were the people time. There were people who immediately after he got drafted to Tampa Bay said he was the, the top overall rookie pick. And to put things in perspective, Pat, break down the comparison of Nikhil Harry and Ayuk as prospects coming into the NFL and then also where their rookie draft value was. Yeah, so Ayuk, it's interesting, actually, because Ayuk played at the same school, right? Yeah. And he then he goes earlier in the NFL draft, and he was very productive for – he's a senior, he's a senior not, and uh, Harry was not, which is a red flag, but he was more productive uh, over his final season. So he's – I think I think he's a hair worse of a prospect, but you can get him in the second round instead of at, like, the 102. So it's just the massive, massive value. Um it's unreal this year at wide receiver and and it's amplified by these ADPs of the running backs which are just kind of ludicrous once you start to get past like I get it if you're going to go after even a Dobbins who could be a really strong running back pick and should have that job to himself quickly but when you're taking like Akers who looks like he'd be in a gross committee and Vaughn ahead of a guy like see I okay I need to I need to I need to push back a little bit on this acres thing which is first of all I mean I think he is like like kind of unimpeachable as a prospect like he just is a really good running back prospect but that doesn't even really matter I don't even really care about that um if if it was going to be a gross committee Daryl Henderson probably would have like played more than like six snaps a game last year like it, it just seems like one of those situations where they drafted Henderson and he doesn't get it, right? He doesn't get the blocking scheme. He doesn't get his, his role in pass protection because that was what they said they wanted to draft him for was to be like the third down back because I'm sure they looked at Todd Gurley's knees and they were like, oh, yeah, we're not going to be able to throw this guy. Uh, ten pa- Like we're not going to be able to target him six times a game anymore. And Henderson just was not able to do that. So I, I think that basically the immediate – redrafting of a running back when your team is terrible right like the the Rams have holes all over the place they have this quarterback they owe all this money I don't think that I don't think their GM is good I don't think that they've done a great job managing that roster but I don't think they're stupid like I don't think that they have a misunderstanding of positional value for the most part so I think that the selection of acres is pretty damning for Daryl Henderson so where would you take acres then in in rookie drafts I believe I have him as the 108, so I have him ahead of Rager, Jefferson, Chenault, but like I like I would not take. I might have DeAndre Swift ranked 107. I should change that though because I just like I'm not going to end up with DeAndre Swift in any rookie drafts. He's like, you know, an okay prospect, but like going to Detroit, one of the one of the worst scenarios. Like if I was looking at Swift or Rager, I go Rager. 
Yeah. Oh, I have Rager well above Swift. I have. I, I'm huge on Rager. I have Swift at eight. Um, I completely agree about the landing spot. It's a horrible landing spot. Carrion Johnson is not a free agent after the year. Uh, and they drafted a kid in the fifth round who's a pass catcher. Like they're preparing, they're showing us their hand here. They're going to, this is going to be a committee for it, probably a long time. And speaking of committee and circling back to the Rams, I mean, Malcolm Brown, your boy, Davis, I mean, isn't he still probably going to get goal line carries in that offense? I, I believe that he is a restricted free agent right now. They'll probably match, but this, this would be his, like if they did, like if they wanted to um, bring back John Kelly instead of him, they, they pretty easily could. I mean, Malcolm Brown, look, man, I, t- I touted it. Uh, he, he's, he's really not very good. Like I, I watch, I watch the guy play. He just, it's, there's very little juice. There just, there's not really much going on there. And I, I think the Rams probably agree. I like how you said that as if someone that like won a few hands of blackjack and is just pulling their winnings off the table. I touted it and now we're moving on. Well, okay. When he scored, when he scored those two touchdowns in week one, I, I was free rolling from that point. Right. Like there, there was, there was a, there was an, there was definitely um, an infinite free roll, but like, so I think, I think, I think, <laughs> I think uh, the biggest mistake though, that people are going to make in rookie drafts this year is lamb is not going to be the consensus one Oh three in regular. He's not going to be the consensus one Oh four in Superflex, People are going to, you know, routinely be taking acres, swift rugs, Vaughn Rager, Jefferson, like the just, I'm probably not Jefferson, but there, there's going to be times where I just in a uh, super flex league was able to trade up and select him at the 107 in a super flex league. Like I, I think he should pretty clearly, like, I mean, he is the third best position prospect in this class, Peter. Yeah. I mean the, the ADP discount you're starting to get on lamb is unreal. I, uh, Scott fish in this league. I am just in him. Why can't I talk that I'm in with him? He got him at 109 CD lamb. Um, so I think that's an aggressive spot to be moving up late into rookie drafts. Um, I did it in ours, Davis, uh, Drewby wanted out of the one Oh eight. Uh, and I have, you know, that Judy and lamb tier there right before the Jefferson Rager. And so with Judy still there, I was happy to move in uh, to that tier to grab them. So that would be a move I'd be aggressively be making if Lamb and Judy are falling to 108 and 109. All right, Pat, I, I think we need to, we need to address one of the elephants in the room though, which is um, this, this was not a good landing spot for Jerry Judy. That is, no. that is a, a, that is a conservative offense. And you can tell me, you know, they drafted Handler, they drafted, um, they drafted Alberto. They did, they did all these things. I, I, I feel pretty confident that they are not going to all of a sudden turn into the Peyton Manning Broncos, right? Like I, I am, I feel relatively confident this is still going to be one of the more run pass balance teams in the, uh, you know, in the NFL. And also Pat, I don't care what the Broncos tell me. I do not think that Drew Locke is, is going to be good enough to sustain these weapons. Yeah, I'm not all that big on Drew Locke, which makes this a really tough landing spot for Judy. Um, I think that – so the argument for Judy is just that at wide receiver, you want to bet on the prospect profile. Talent tends mm-hmm. to come through at wide receiver in a much bigger way than with running back pro, prospects where the, the landing spot is a much bigger deal at running back. Uh, and Judy's prospect profile was really, really strong. Uh, and the other thing I like about the landing spot a little bit is that – uh, Pat Shermer is now their offensive coordinator, right? So he's, mm-hmm. he's, you know, he has maximized the intermediate passing game for guys like Diggs. 
So I think Judy might be kind of the best fit for what they're looking to do offensively, perhaps even better than Sutton. And as just with that level of talent that Judy has, I don't want to get too carried away with the landing spot. That said, he's pretty close to Rager for me now. I have him ahead of Rager, but I think there's like a slight tear break after Lamb. If you can get in position to get Lamb a bit earlier in the draft, I would probably do that. Because I – I'm kind of I'm like worried. I've actually moved up in some drafts that are going to start this weekend to see if I can get Lamb because I'm like thinking that I'm going to end up with just a ton of Judy right now. Um, and I want to. I mean, sure Rager I Rager might see a hundred more targets than Judy over their first three yeah. years in the league. I think Rager has a very strong chance to be the wide receiver one from this class in startup ADP next year. Yeah, because Lamb is not gonna. Lamb is gonna see like sixty nine targets, right? Like, La- like Lamb yeah. is gonna be the slot wide receiver for a team that has two good wide receivers already. Throws to their running back, and now is finally gonna have a tight end who runs faster than like a six four forty. So yeah, I mean, Peter, I I think Lamb is is really in a tier of his own because of the Judy. Like, I don't. Th- I just don't think that Judy is gonna consistently see more targets than Corlin Sutton. Yeah, I'm I'm less concerned about the targets in or sorry, I should say I'm less concerned about um yeah, like the too many mouths to feed than I am the disparity between Lamb's getting Dak and Judy's getting Drew Locke. Because yeah. I, I agree with Pat. I think the talent is gonna rise to the top there. And I think Pat mentioned this on his pod with Adam. The skill sets really mesh well. You know, this isn't like overlapping skill sets. You know, th- those guys can all work in different positions of the field and and still succeed. The question is, can can Locke take a leap and support that? If they would have signed Jameis as their backup quarterback, I would have been I would have been all the way back in. I would have yeah. been like, oh, Jameis is going to be Jameis is going to be slinging the rock around in the thin mountain air in week seven. Um, I, I think Jameis signing the one-year deal in New Orleans, I think that is um, like pretty big for his super flex value because, I mean, Drew, Drew when like Drew Brees is just routinely going to miss games. He is forty-one or forty-two, and just like giving him giving him a coach like Sean Payton, I don't know. I I mean, obviously his value took a massive hit when the team that coached him for five years was like, uh, no thanks, we, we don't need you anymore. He went, uh, Jameis went for $2 out of 300 in that auction that we just did, Pat. So the, the market, the market, not very high on Jameis Winston, but I, I think the Saints landing spot was kind of bullish. When I saw that deal, I, I literally thought Davis is going to love this. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> he's this is <laughs> I mean he is he is just so good for fantasy and and I mean obviously if he ever has another 30 interception season again he'll just never play another down in the NFL cuz no team will want to touch him but you know I I don't know I just let I me think it's just a good let me spot. Yeah um do we think do we think Cam is going to sign or is it just is it just too weird with the COVID-19 stuff and medicals? Like, is are we going to go a year where Cam is just not on a roster? I think he'll sign somewhere. Yeah, the question I, is, I feel like a lot of times it comes down, you know, to kind of like the ego and what these guys think. You know, Winston, I think, came to terms with like, I'm going to have to be a backup and just eat it. Like, is Cam willing to go be a backup somewhere right now? Certainly, I don't think he's willing to go be Jared Stidham's backup, right? <laughs> like, I think I think that might be I think that might be an issue where the the Patriots are like, um, 
yeah, we're just we're just gonna roll with Stidham and and Brian Hoyer's okay backing up Jared Stidham. Uh, Cam probably doesn't want to back up Jared Stidham. Well, wouldn't he oh, want to go to Denver? Like if you're in his shoes, wouldn't Denver gonna be the the spot? Yeah, the team team that beat you in the Super Bowl get a yeah. I mean they they have, and they have a really good roster. Uh, I just I think that this organization has just really convinced themselves that um, Drew Locke is their guide. I bet they have, don't even want him. I, I always thought the Chargers were going to be the spot. So let's right. talk about some of the like late second, early third type guys. Once those kind well, of top tier uh, wide receivers are where, on the board, where does your tier of guys you expect to get fantasy points from in 2020 stop? I, I think that it is right at Chase Claypool, who is eight, who is 18. So, like, they, who I have ranked 18th overall. So that's I have the him ranked 18th, too. Yeah. He's so going think, in the third round. What's going on with Claypool? I, I don't get big, why people aren't on him at all. Big, big draft did not like Claypool. Mm. Right? Like, the, the draft industrial complex. And, and also... Someone should tell them where he went in the NFL draft. Someone, someone should tell them that. Also, um, we... I mean, I am a little disappointed that they said that he's going to be only a boundary wide receiver. They said they're going to keep Smith Schuster in the slot. And I mean, it's just easier to get fantasy points in the slot, yeah. right? That stuff uh, can change though. I mean, it's so. Smith Schuster's so a free agent. You know? I mean, my big concern is, aren't you guys a little concerned with the Steelers track record of drafting these receivers? I mean. <laughs> well, that's the thing is they don't, they don't draft, they don't draft big wide receivers very often. I can't, I get the last. Davis? Big, that's the last one. Yeah. And I mean, he was awesome for a little while. And then I guess, I guess maybe it wasn't his fault. So anyway, so, yeah. Yes, we're, we're in good company with our uh, Chase Claypool love, Pete told me. <laughs> the counselor, baby. The, the counsel, yeah, the counselor loves Claypool. So that's, that's, definitely, that's definitely good. The, the, the funniest thing about the counselor is he was just like bashing every pick because he, he is the epitome of like, if there's one other person on the roster at the same position, it's not a great fit. He's just like, boom, hate it, hate it, hate it. And then he gets to Chase Claypool. He's like, this is my dude. <laughs> So here you go, Pat. I mean, I know your answer because we've talked, but I'm on the clock at 3.03, and I have Hamler and Chase Claypool available to me. Who are you, who are you going with? I'm going Hamler. I think Hamler's – outside of his size, Hamler is a really, really strong prospect. Like, if he was 195 pounds, I'd be touting him, like, you know, up there almost in the Jefferson tier. I think Dude, I might I might weigh more than KJ Hamler. Yeah, he's he's really small. Um but he's uh he he's the youngest wide receiver in the class. He was actually pretty efficient last year despite not great quarterback play. He's wildly fast even though we don't have numbers on him. I mean, you know, I hate I to think I think that's why guy, I think I think that's why uh as as Levitan would say, that's why the virgins don't like him is because we we just don't act, we don't actually have the Hamler numbers right like we just we just don't have we don't get to see the four three three forty or whatever yeah although there is a, a video on twitter at saquon barkley tweeted it out uh or retweeted or something but it's like a video of hamler taking a kickoff back from he like receives it right on the goal line and runs it back for a touchdown in like 10 in seconds like, uh, yeah it's like just under 11 seconds and uh and he's making people miss it's like so it works i think that works out to like a four four forty so it's like in pads while making people miss. He's really fast. There's no doubt about it. And uh, 
Anyway, I think the landing spot really hurts him, but you're getting the appropriate discount. You were getting a discount already because people weren't high enough on, on him as a prospect, and now you're getting even more of a discount after the draft. So to me, he's like a no-brainer in the early third, late second even. I mean, I would take him, I would take him in like the you know, 207 range easily. So let's just assume that Locke doesn't take a massive leap, but he's also not a huge flop. Let's say he can like give us the Daniel Jones, Josh Allen type of like erratic production. That's great. Well, that's very Dan Daniel Jones and Josh Allen, very different levels of passing game production. What I mean, not for fantasy. Yeah. Josh Allen complete Josh Allen completes like 56% of his passes, but you mean like supporting his weapon? Yeah. I mean, just like weapon. Yeah. Sure. So I'm just I'm just saying like if Locke, you know, accesses some type of a fantasy ceiling, then, like what is your expectation for kind of Hamler's production year one and, and going forward? Like what could be is he is he a spiked weak guy? Do you think he could settle yeah. into a target floor or what? He's yeah, a spiked he's, weak guy. He's fancy Tavon Austin. No, I, I in think that like scenario. In the Daniel Jones situation, he's like a Darius Slayton. So he's I you know with Dynasty, when we draft these rookies, it's not like we want – I made this point with Adam in the context of C.D. Lamb. Like, if you're going to have a guy get, like, 150 fantasy points as a rookie, right, you'd rather have them come in a short sampling of games. Totally. You want them yeah. – right? So, Hamler, Hamler has that profile. Hamler can have a three- to four-game stretch where he goes off and gets people excited – and you can point to and say, look, if they get a new quarterback in there, this guy's going to explode as a sophomore, right? And then his trade value goes up, and we get to see how talented he is in, in those, you know, small samples. So I don't think that Hamler's going to be someone you're starting in, uh, you know, in a in – I mean, I can, I can see him be someone that you, like, parlay into more future value or whatever. I think the long-term criticism – of him is that like so let's say that it doesn't even matter that he weighs 175 pounds you know it it doesn't even matter he is like an nfl caliber player he is best case scenario like stone best case scenario he's the fourth leading target getter on the broncos right after sutton judy fant and more likely melvin gordon gets more targets than him right that's probably right yeah, that, yeah it, but to Pat's I would, point, you could probably make can't you probably do the same thing for Darius Slayton on the Giants, and Darius Slayton enjoyed some really nice spiked weeks this year. Yeah, Sam, Sammy Reed played him in cash once, <laughs> and Darius Slayton was he was valuable. Like he, you know, he's kind yeah. of it's kind of cooled off when after the after the drafts because everyone's excited about the rookies. But Slayton, you know, you could he you was could going. Him. I I did um an FFPC Superflex startup, and he went in like the tenth round. Exactly, yeah. So I think Wild. you can probably earn a profit on Hamler pretty easily with just, you know, some nice spiked weeks. And once people see, like, oh, he's incredibly fast. Like, you're just betting to some degree on the, what we know, but we don't have numbers on, which is that, you know, he's, he's wildly fast. The other thing about him is that he's only, you know, people compare him to Deshaun Jackson and stuff, which I think he compares somewhat favorably to Deshaun Jackson, although Jackson broke out younger and he had a lot more touchdowns in college. Um, but they're both good on special teams. They're both kind of that small wide receiver type. However, uh, Hamler's bigger than Jackson. He's actually closer in size to Tyler Lockett. You know, he came in three pounds lighter than Tyler Lockett did as a rookie. So I think that Hamler and, and Hamler, again, he's the youngest wide receiver in the class. If he puts on a little bit of weight, 
he could operate more than just kind of this tiny deep threat. He could be a little bit, he's not going to be like a number one alpha guy, but you know, he could be an interesting guy out of the slot and the, you know, mixing in deep targets. So there's upside here as a player that I think is underpriced as well. Um, okay. Peter, talk to me about, about Zach Moss. Cause this is, this is a guy that I'm just going to miss on. Right. So like Buffalo clearly likes him. Um, they clearly like him more than the market. They, they have a type, you know, Devin Singletary was also like a horrible combine guy. So bills kind of like a middling offense, but super run heavy. So the touches are going to be there, but I mean, Moss is like a, you know, an overage prospect who got injured a little bit in college, was slow at the combine. Like, wh- what, do you, what do you do with a guy like Zach Moss? Like, where's the profit potential there? Well, he's, he's definitely not a guy you reach for, um, but he's, he's a guy I'm interested at the back end of the second round if he's falling and people aren't excited about him. And I think he's a guy that you can get some immediate production from the bills are one of these offenses where they haven't gone like full on gross three-way committees. They've liked using two guys last year. It was Gore. I don't know why Moss doesn't step in there and you know, people will want it to be like 75 Singletary, 25 Moss, but I could easily see in it be a 60, 40 situation. I mean, they, they already have kind of said that they want to keep Singletary in the role he was in last year which is, uh, you know, no, like, like no goal line work for Singletary, really, which, you know, fr- obviously frustrated a lot of the people that were into Singletary. Like, is, is Moss someone that you would be interested in, Pat? You, you, you tend to do better at liking bad players than I do, especially if they could turn a profit. <laughs> yeah, I am. I, I think Pete's exactly right about if he's in the late second, then uh, I think he's definitely worth that pick. Um, the Bills were very clear this whole offseason that they were going to add a running back, and they met with Moss a bunch of times. Um, so we knew we liked, they've liked him uh, for a while. And I think he'll, he'll have a role right away. The only thing that I don't like about Moss is that Singletary's not going to go away, and Singletary's contract's not up soon. So he doesn't really have an upside case, but he should be usable. Well, his, like his, upside case, sell him. his upside case would be he gets the goal line work, the bills run near the goal line all the time because they hate Josh Allen or they understand that Josh Allen's limitations, I guess maybe would be the kinder way to say that. And he could just completely fluke into like an 11 touchdown season, just with like, just, you know, insane variants, but like that's something you could see happening. And then he becomes a super easy trade candidate. That's true. Yeah. And I think that's your play with Moss is that I think people are probably underestimating his, his workload. And so if you can get him in the late second and then flip him in season, think that's going to be pretty easy uh so sort of the reverse of zach moss is aj dillon who is like you know people loved zach moss before the combine great receiving work everything aj dillon people didn't really like him thought he was a bruiser you know did not a ton of pass catching upside then he comes into the combine and he just is is super sparky he's drafted to a team that has two running backs ahead of him you know two running backs who recorded a lot of touches last year obviously super confusing that they selected him given, you know, the, the the concerns on their roster. But um, I mean, Jamal Williams's contract is, I think it's up after this season, Aaron Jones's con. Yeah. They're both up at the end of this season. I mean, AJ Dillon could be the 2021 starting running back for the green Bay Packers, Pat. I think they've signaled that that is their plan. Um, There was talks of doing an Aaron Jones extension. I feel like, you know, you don't just, take Dylan to get leverage on your Aaron Jones contract. I think they may have decided that 
we're not interested in paying Aaron Jones what he's asking for. We're going to take this guy instead. Dylan, the, the thing I struggle with with Dylan is that he really is is not a very good prospect, in my opinion. I mean, he's he's I huge. I, I and think he he's runs fine. Fast. Yeah. Yeah, I think everything I've I've read about like the way he runs is that he can't make people miss uh, without being at full speed. So I'm concerned, you know, if you can't, if you make him stop his feet, he's dead. And it just sounds like a very kind of old school running back. He sounds like Andre Williams who came out of the same school. So uh, I'm, I'm not that interested in him from a pure talent perspective. That said, I think he's, he's going to be kind of in, I was talking to my brother, Mike, and he was comparing him to Sean Green in that he could, he could have uh, that. What a, like, what a, what a, bru- what a brutal, brutal comparison. I mean, Sean it, Green existed for a long time, but that's so brutal. But it's actually like an optimistic comparison from a trade value point of view in the sense yeah. that Green, as a rookie, didn't get enough run to show that he was actually bad. He got just enough to get people excited, and then they handed him the job. And then he was going really high in redraft. You know, you could make a huge profit on him at that point. And then he showed <laughs> that he was a total grinder, nothing. But I think that's the thing with Dylan. It's like if you're willing to hold him this year, he's going to play behind Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, but there's a high chance that then that job becomes his. And then at that point, you can sell him for a big profit. I mean, he's not going that early. We should also mention just how the Packers have used their running backs over the past four or five years has been like super swinging, like with right. their usage. Like there's a lot of volatility there. They, you know, they were the team that was kind of pioneering the let's give John Kuhn a bunch of, you know, fullback carries at the goal line. Like Dylan could be their goal line back right out of the gate you know there's I think a lot of kind of variance in his range of outcomes that makes him intriguing to me as a stock asset at the late second okay Peter give me give me your Lynn Bowden Jr. take like is it is he is he Dexter McCluster or is this a guy who's like gonna get touches and be meaningful at the NFL level yeah I've been missing out on Lynn Bowden just because Pat has gotten me a little more hyped on other uh kind of running backs in this range that are in the similar kind of handcuff. Well, he's, he's listed as a wide receiver on NFL. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know enough about his prospect profile to speak on it. So I'll let Pat do that. But yeah, it seems uh, a little optimistic uh, where people have him right now. Do you, do you think that's true, Pat? Yeah, a little bit. I'm disappointed that he was taken by the Raiders and then they're converting him to running back. So, because I think he was actually a really interesting wide receiver prospect. Um, and then if you're going to get converted to running back, it has to be behind Josh Jacobs, who's just going to own the early down work. So there's not a ton of upside there. Okay, doesn't isn't their usage of Josh Jacobs weird, right? Like it, like the way that they chose to use him last year, it's like they, they watched him at Alabama, and then instead of using the, him the way he was used at Alabama – uh, you know, they, they turned him into AJ Dillon, which I just thought was, which I just thought was so bizarre. It is weird. And then this off season, they were saying, you know, Max talked about how they want to use him more in the passing game, but then they re-sign Richard. Jalen Richard. Yeah. And then, then they draft this guy who's definitely like the only thing you would draft him for is to play on Catch passing passes. downs as a running back. Yeah. So they've completely boxed out Jacobs. I think, if your league mates aren't aware that, you know, Josh Jacobs stocks taking a big hit and you own him, I would, I would offload him because he, I don't think he's going to make that leap as you know, a three down guy now. 
Yeah. Okay. We, we need to talk. I, I think that you, you guys are maybe a little bit more confident in some of these um, second tier of wide receivers than I am. So that is um, LaVisca Chanel, Justin Jefferson, Michael Pittman, T Higgins, and Denzel Mims. I mean, maybe, maybe uh, we, you know, maybe we, we don't think that um, Justin Jefferson is in that tier. I, I, I have some weird I have some concerns about Justin Jefferson just being linked to that system, how good Joe Burrow was. So he, he is in that tier for me. T Higgins had a poor combine Peter, but like, I, I think if T Higgins hits, he is in such a good scenario as the wide receiver one for Joe Burrow. Like if, Bur- if Burrow is good and Higgins is good, that that um like the upside combo there i think is is not matched by by jefferson who plays for you know one of the most again you know super conservative mims is in you know not again as ideal of a situation like i think the the higgins 90th percentile is really intriguing to me yeah i don't i don't mind higgins and i i agree with that kind of long-term upside but i couldn't ever justify taking him over Ayuk or uh chanel uh you know based on the draft capital based on their path to year one targets uh, I think they're just so much op- more opportunity and we don't even know if Higgins is going to be able to get on the field necessarily in year one so I think that's a mistake if you're taking him over those guys but I, I do think he is very intriguing long term I also prefer those Chenault and Ayuk over Higgins but I think Higgins has probably the widest range of outcomes in the class like, I mean it would not surprise me if he just is not an NFL player right like it, it, it really would not su- it really would not surprise me if he is John Baldwin Philip Dorsett AJ Jenkins like just a guy who proves himself not being capable of playing also would not surprise me if he just is like a really good like old school boundary receiver in like the Brand, not not saying he is as good as you know Brandon Marshall Terrell Owens Des Bryant but like in that mold of player and uh you know i i i think i actually just kind of seeing how people are ranking Bengals players i think i'm probably higher on what burrow is capable of doing in cincinnati than the market because like i mean if burrow is is one of the 10 best quarterbacks in football there are a lot of guys who are going to score a lot of fantasy points that are being drafted like they're not going to right now i agree with that and you have targets that could open up in burrow's second year because aj green should be gone unless they franchise him again and then uh John Ross, if they don't pick up his fifth-year option, will be gone. So, they, they are not. They are not going to do that. That, yeah, that I think I feel pretty think. confident in that. They like to keep um, their own players, Davis. <laughs> the uh, the, ba- the Bengals, they really do. That's so. They that really is don't. so weird that they do. Um, all right. So some of these, some of these other secondary running backs. Do we do we see a path, Peter, to Darrington Evans taking over the Titans' backfield next season? If after the year of franchise tagging, they just let Derrick Henry walk. I mean, in this day and age, it seems hard to say, like, taking over. You know, if Derrick Henry walks, they're obviously going to bring in another, another guy. But right. I feel I feel like Darrington Evans is, is kind of intriguing to me. And I'm, I'm anti, you know, Aker Swift in this. I mean, in this kind of rookie draft context and more pro, like, let's take the discount on Moss. Let's take the discount on Darrington Evans. Like, guys that could see a little bit of work could be the true handcuff and could have a more full-time role if, if Henry walks. So I'm kind of intrigued by some of these guys, and, and Darrington Evans is, is definitely one of them. Okay, I, I, I want to talk about, like, fourth-round selections and stuff, too, because if you're, if you're able to turn a profit on these picks, that is going to be, you know, just long-term turning profit on picks where a huge chunk of your league is, is not turning profits. 
do you have do you have a favorite of these tight ends, Pat? So you know, Devin Devin Asiasi, Albert O, uh, Josiah Deguerra, uh, the, the the fullback for the Packers. I mean, are any of are any of these you know tight ends like? Do you think any of these guys are going to be better than CJ Uzuma? Yeah, the other guy that uh, I just took in our auction rookie is Kobe uh, Parkinson, right? Yeah, he's uh, he's the Seattle guy, and he's just like massive, and he had horrible quarterback play, so no one knows if he's. I good. mean, Will Disley was a right tackle in college and was scoring like twenty fantasy points a game, so Russell Wilson can do anything. Right, and he's behind Greg Olson and Disley, and um, uh, who's the other guy there? Uh, Hollister. Uh, Jacob Hollister. Hollister. Yeah. Yeah, so I, the the thing I like about the Seahawks is generally they'll you know if someone's looking intriguing in practice they'll they'll see what they've got. So if Parkinson can play at all, he he should get on the field. I kind of like him. I like um, I like Alberto the best of the other guys that you mentioned. Yeah, I like I like Alberto a lot. The market the market is hating on Alberto Peter, but I I I feel as if that's a guy who can score fantasy points pretty consistently. My, my working theory of what's happening right now is people love macro narratives and the macro narrative is this tight end class is really bad, you know, right. overall, uh, except that a lot of these guys actually fell to some pretty interesting situations or yeah, they all really went to interesting teams, interesting teams or Albert. O, a really interesting kind of physical profile. So shower narrative too. There you go. But like, we've always known with tight ends that it takes patience in dynasty mm-hmm. And you are going to be able to get some of these guys in the mid fourth, just like no problem. So if you have those taxi squads or really large rosters, I think they might be some of the best um, investments in the fourth round this year. Well, you know, in all these leagues we play in, um, you know, these super flex best ball dynasty leagues that have become, uh, you know, kind of all of the rage these days, uh, like the, it's tight end premium and you're, you're holding guys who are not good. Right, you're you are you're holding backup quarterbacks, uh, third string running backs like like Darwin Thompson is a guy who is like uh, probably shouldn't be owned in these leagues. Like, would you would you rather take a, a tight end scratcher or Darwin Thompson? Like, you'd probably you'd probably take the tight end scratcher right now. So, and and um, no one no one trades tight ends in these leagues either. Just ab- you you cannot get tight ends off of people in these tight end premium leagues. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I think there's a there's a fourth round running back. I just got him in the uh, 401 in our uh, quarantine auction rookie draft, and I don't get why people aren't a little bit more excited about DJ Dallas. He's uh, in a situation where he could. I liked DJ Dallas well. better when he was called Travis Homer. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did actually back up Travis Homer. Um, but yeah, I just you know if Carson's not fully healthy to start the year, Penny's probably going to start the year on the pup. And DJ Dallas is a good special teams player. I think he was drafted in part to take over for Tyler Lockett there. So he should be active on game day and he's a good pass protector. So he may see the field quickly. So it's like, you know, in, in the fourth round in the, or the late third, I don't think you can get much more upside than that. Compare, compare him to Raymond Calais, Peter. Cause I, I think what if, what if, what if Calais plays more than Keyshawn Vaughn? Is that, is that something we think is possible? What if I don't even know who Calais is? <laughs> he was the he was like the he was like the D two running back that Tampa Bay took in the seventh round. He's their Kareth White. Okay, yeah. I mean, you're gonna once we once we're at this like four hundred three, four hundred four, like my <laughs> level of uh, ability. I gotta to go talk back to Pat. Him, yeah, you gotta well, go back. 
So this is okay. This is this is another. I will direct this one to you because it's more interesting. Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts was um like a a very hot name in these drafts that were taking place before the NFL draft. He goes to the Eagles. There's not really a clear path to playing time now. Like if he if he is going to get on the field, it's going to be a Carson Wentz injury or as like Taysom Hill. But like it it doesn't seem as if there is a, a a plan for him being a starting NFL quarterback within the next few years. You know, they owe Carson Wentz a ton of money. So how do you handle someone like like Jalen Hurts now who just like really saw his his value sort of crater in the NFL draft? Yeah, Hurts is interesting. Uh, I, Scott Fish in our super flex draft took him at 212. He went, he bang, bang, double tapped Jordan Love and Jalen Hurts. Um, it does seem like the Eagles might be, you know, treating this as part optionality for their offense, part, you know, just trade flip, seeing if they can maybe get a future first for him. So there is, I think, a wide range of outcomes of how it could play out. Uh, I guess I don't want to pay the premium of like a late second for him, but if he's someone that's falling, I mean, in Superflex, you never can go wrong stashing these quarterbacks. And the thing about some of them too, even when they're backups, they're still going to hold kind of that trade value and their pre-draft evaluation, even throughout the season, because we're not going to have anything to change our minds otherwise. So I don't think they're bad investments if you can get them at a reasonable price. Where, where are you at on Jalen Hurts, Pat? Yeah, so Kevin Cole had an article on Hertz that I thought was pretty interesting, and it helped clarify for me probably where the Eagles were coming from. And basically the idea is that they're just trying – he thinks like it's a probably a good move because you're just trying to get elite play at that position. And Wentz is not providing elite play, at least it like, wasn't who's, last who, year. Who are, who are the teams that are complaining about their backup quarterback being too good? Where, where does right. that exist, right? Yeah, and I guess the sort of the thesis of that article – is that maybe Hertz is the guy who emerges as the, you know, the elite quarterback. And, you know, if that happens, which is not as likely as Wentz hitting a ceiling, but, but there is a, a possibility. There's a Hertz chance. Hits his yeah. Ceiling, yeah. And Wentz is not. And then Wentz, I think becomes the trade candidate. So the Jaguars will instantly give up their 2021 first and uh, you know, some defensive player that the Eagles like for Wentz, for sure. For sure. Guaranteed. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think, it's really hard to see how it happens for Hertz. Like if you plan out, you know, if you plot out the situation, here's how it's going to play out. You're going to be wrong. But I think there are paths to Hertz being pretty valuable in like a couple of years. He's kind of on that Jordan love trajectory. So I like, like, I like that move a lot of just getting Hertz in love. You probably have a really, really valuable asset within a year and a half. All right. Our, our resident Miami dolphins expert fins up. What are we? What are we? What are we projecting for Tua year one, year two, Peter? So I mean, there's so many variables to suss out with Tua between the medicals and then how the rookie training program and, and stuff is going to unfold. For sure, I, I I would be pretty shocked if he's starting week one for a couple. I, of I think zero percent week one. Yeah, uh, to me, he seems like kind of the later in the years, you know, the second, third of the year where they kind of, uh, you know, put him in. And, and they, they still like Fitz. They, they like what he does for them. And, you know, they, they have been practicing extreme caution, extreme long time horizons with every move they've made this offseason. I can't see them rushing into doing anything uh, with Tua until he's completely ready. So 
Pat, does that make you think he's maybe being a little bit overdrafted in rookie drafts since the the, the points are not going to be there immediately? No, I actually don't think so in Superflex. I mean, you're like you're taking these rookie quarterbacks in part because they're going to be starters for a long time. For a long time, There's, yeah. Two is definitely going to be a starter for like five years, unless he has a major injury, right? So it's – I just think the floor with Tua is just so – so big and I kind of like the landing spot uh, I think it's it's nice that he doesn't have to be rushed in right away um, and by the end of the year he'll his he'll probably have started you know six seven games and his value will go up so you don't need like this you just don't need him to start if you need to to start week one like you've done something wrong with you yeah your, your team your <laughs> team is up. not very good yeah yeah he generally goes at like the 105 that in like we've we've been in I think I'm in four rookie drafts right now, and I think the earliest he's gone is 104. The latest he's gone is 106. So it's, that it's, that ranges. It's killing me. I don't have a dynasty share of him yet. Like my picks just haven't landed in that range. And I know right. as I only have a couple more rookie drafts left that I'm going to do something stupid just to get a share. <laughs> well, he's he is a really interesting guy. I mean, obviously having superstar quarterbacks in single quarterback leagues is still good, right? Like yeah. no, no one's arguing that having quarterbacks that score a lot of fantasy points is bad in those formats. Um, so two is a guy that's kind of interesting in those, if they're deep enough, right? Like if, 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 you know, they're good quarterbacks on the wire, then probably not, but like two is upper percentile case includes like a lot of running. And, you know, obviously we know running is really good for fantasy quarterbacks. And I, I, I think there there maybe is a chance that he is being undervalued in single quarterback formats where like Joe Burrow probably goes 15 picks ahead of him, I would imagine, in those leagues. I was just going to ask, where do we think the quarterback ADP settles in one quarterback dynasty leagues for rookie drafts? Because I am I have my first one kicking off today, and I'm, I would love to add one of those guys, but I, I have no idea where they're going to end up falling. I would think very low because this tech class has so many guys who are going to comp- who are were drafted highly and who are going to score fantasy points right away. Like I'd be surprised if Burrow goes higher than like pick 15, probably Pat. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think all of the, cause there's the Mims, there's the Pittman, you know, the uh, Zach Moss, I think all of those guys will go ahead of him. Although I play a lot in the non superplex leagues that I do. Most of those are pretty shallow leagues. And so my, you know, my ADP of the quarterbacks might be a bit skewed by that. Like, I think they'll probably be going the late second, um, maybe even the early third. So, but I, I, I agree. If there's a discount on Tua compared to Burrow, um, then I would definitely take that discount in one quarterback leagues. And it's probably gonna be a bigger discount than we're seeing in Superflex. I mean, yeah, I will, yeah, he oh, will go, go too late. He will just go too late and he will go five to 10 picks later than Burrow in single quarterback leagues for sure. Yeah. I think my bit. So I have like in this draft, I have the 207, the 209, 301 and 302. And I think a big decision is going to be, can I, can I wait to try to get them at 301, 302, 302 or do I have to pull the trigger on 209 and maybe miss out on a Zach Moss type at that range. But with that, you know, Burrow's the canary in the coal mine, unless you're trying to get both. So no, yeah, I'd prefer – yeah, I'd just like to get a Tua share, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that's probably reasonable. Uh, Pat, do we – I mean, do we want to say some mean things about Van Jefferson, who's, like, <laughs> going to be – who's, like, going to be the lowest drafted uh, second-round NFL wide receiver ever in rookie drafts? 
He's one of the worst picks I've I can remember. I mean, I guess he definitely he probably compares best to like Dante Pettis as a as a NFL draft pick. And you know, I think he might wash out of the league even quicker. Very very tough scenes. I just it's it's funny though. There are people in film Twitter who will stand for him. Really? What does he do well? I mean, what do any of these guys ever do well? Like who like literally who could say? <laughs> like like what did uh what did um what did what's his name the the guy i used i got this was like the original flame war san diego chargers super slow slot wide receiver ran like a four oh, seven oh, five oh. vincent brown vincent brown yeah like what did vincent brown van jefferson did the same things well that vincent brown did well right yeah the, the thing you know like looking at his yards per route run out of the slot and stuff he sucked out of the slot he's the 182nd best uh NCAA wide receiver out of the slot. So I, I was like, I assume he must be awesome out of the slot. No, he's terrible there. So like, what is, I just don't understand it. I mean, the thing about Van Jefferson that you just can't completely ignore him because Cooper cup is an upcoming free agent. Uh, Josh Reynolds is a free agent. Gerald Everett is going to be a free agent. So there's going to be targets opening up in 21. They'll probably bring back cup, but you know, to bring back cup, they'll probably have to let Jefferson or the, excuse me, they'll have to let Everett and Reynolds go because their cap is a mess. So he could get opportunity quickly, but I don't know. He's not very good. <laughs> Here's a fun one. He's a year older than DJ Moore. <laughs> yeah. He's old as shit. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not turns good. 24 in July. It's wild. Okay. Two other guys that, uh, that I want to tout while we're here. Um, one is Antonio Gandy Golden, who is, mm-hmm. Just, you know, just the prototypical spark score dude who I'm just, I'm always going to love. But I, I think there's loads of opportunity there in Washington because I, I mean, to say that I'm not sold by um, Kel- Kelvin Harmon and Steven Sims would be underselling it. But I also, I, I'm not, Peter, tell me if, if Terry McLaurin is good or if he just ran really hot last year. Terry McLaurin is really, really good. Yeah. I think he's the, the real deal. I think he's a stud. Do you, do you agree with that, Pat? I think he's really good, but I think Dwayne Haskins is not really good. And Haskins sure. did not support McLaurin very well last yeah. year or in college. Like, McLaurin might have been an amazing prospect if he had but played we, with we just don't know. Yeah. But isn't that – McLaurin had – I saw someone post, like, his last three games with Haskins last year, and he had really good production. Yeah, and he's a bit boom bust, so, you know. He didn't just play three games with Haskins, though, right? He played – it's a larger sample there. No, no, no. Yeah, the larger sample. I'm just saying he finished the season with – oh, now ESPN pre-rolls going. Uh, with eight, nine, and seven targets and a touchdown in each of those three games. Uh, so, I mean, I think he's he's going to get the targets. But, yeah, the efficiency can be a question. Yeah. I I think Andy Goldman's really interesting, too. Um, you mentioned that he's a, a, an athletic guy and he's big. The other thing with him is that he was very productive in college. And yeah. he's kind, he's sort of interesting because he's like half a small school guy. He played at Liberty, but Liberty moved up a level in competition. Mm-hmm. Um, in his junior year, they moved up. So he's not necessarily like the, the true small school wide receiver. And even, even is, as a small school wide receiver, he kind of profiles almost like a Kenny Galladay. So you, you love know, I kinda, music to my ears, buddy. Right. I, I kind of like to think of him as good Tyler Johnson, you know? So I, I think he could be seeing targets right away in that Washington offense. 
So if I can if I can defend selecting Tyler Johnson with the five oh one, by the way, <laughs> which like I get it, right? He sucks. He I mean he <laughs> might suck. I don't know. He was he was, he was awesome so per- in college. He was so awesome, dude. Yeah. And it's just it's very hard for me to reconcile um like it's not like he's Van Jefferson. Like he dominated yeah. Big Ten cornerbacks every week. He just and, and he outproduced a guy who is expected to go very early in the NFL draft. Uh Bateman. He is like if you go look at like any Debbie rankings or anything, he's like a top five, top ten guy consistently. And Tyler Johnson outproduced him. Now, granted, he is not athletic, right? Like he is he is slow. He is, you know, probably like and and not only is he slow, but he's like not Antonio Gandy Golden size. He's like is a normal size NFL wide receiver who's not that fast. Um, so so at this point I mean, I think if he beats out Justin Watson and Scotty Miller, though, to play this year, that will mean that something went wrong in the evaluation process on Tyler Johnson somewhere, and he's better than we thought, basically. I mean, if he was drafted in, like, the third round, I'd be all about him in rookie drafts. He, the only thing I don't like about him is the NFL no scouts draft hate capital. Him. Yeah. Yeah. So no opportunity, but also we're missing – like, sometimes we're, we're missing something with the numbers. We're missing and- something. I – yeah. Maybe he's a dick. Maybe he just is like unpleasant. I think that's a real thing with some of these prospects that we don't know is that they're just unpleasant to be around and that, that causes them to not be good fantasy players. Yeah, maybe. So maybe he's, I don't know. I don't know. But something, they don't like something and they don't like it a lot. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Peter, do you, do you have anyone else you want to tout? Any, any fourth round? I, once, I know maybe like who would you take at the 403 since you said that's about where your, your knowledge runs out? Oh, well, we met you. I like, I like Darrington Evans. I also, uh, Eno Benjamin is a little intriguing to me. I don't think that depth chart is quite as scary as, uh, as people think. And again, another team that was incredibly herky jerky with their running back usage. And, uh, I would just not be surprised if Eno Benjamin has a couple of games stretch where he's very relevant next year. All right. Any other, any other, uh, fourth, fourth round touts? Pat? Uh, well, I think that, you know, and this is actually maybe a fifth round tout even, but um, but I think in Superflex leagues, Jacob Easton is really e- cheap. Easton is, is cheap, yeah. Yeah, and that's why I was kind of making fun of the Tyler Johnson pick because I was trying to trade up for Jacob Easton, and then you came back with a counter, and I was like, he's taking Tyler Johnson. So uh, I knew I could sit tight and get Easton, which did happen. I think their plan is to play Easton next year, and probably their plan is probably to play him this year <laughs> this year yeah. yeah so i mean immediately he vaults you know you're going to be able to flip easton probably for a future first if he doesn't look terrible you know so well, i don't is, know how optimistic i'd be about that he is not a very good college quarterback i know he wasn't but starting quarterbacks if it looks like no they are they're, starter, they are the currency of super flex leagues like they are like Ryan Tannehill, like you could you could flip him right now for a future first, probably, and he's going to be benched by week nine. <laughs> yeah, easily. So yeah. Uh, I just traded. I actually have Ryan Tannehill as my QB two in a super flex league. So now, <laughs> now I'm panicking. But uh, but yeah, no, I think these quarterbacks they always have value on the trade market, and I think they're generally undervalued in the super super flex rookie draft. I mean, you can you can get well. I mean. So something that has me feeling weird about Jake Eason, Jake Fromm, James Morgan, uh, like a lot of these third, fourth, fifth rounds 
quarterback selections is that the Patriots have this glaring, glaring need at quarterback and would do very well to find a guy they like and develop him and either start him next season or trade him on, you know, a a la Jimmy G. And they seem to have no interest in taking any of them. That, That made me feel weird about a lot of these second day quarterbacks. Yeah, that's fair. I think quarterback evaluation is really hard. And in some ways I just want sure. the path to opportunity. So like from, I think from would be interesting in a different situation, but you know, he's never going to yeah, be tough, the long-term starter there. Yeah. So right. you just got to go for the guys who have quick paths to being the long-term starter and the team has signaled that they'd be interested in that. It's, yep. it's pretty clear that Pats are tanking, right? looks that way who knows i mean maybe maybe they just think there's no there's no season and they want to set themselves up i mean are they you just can't tell me that they don't do anything with quarterbacks and free agency and they're going to roll out muhammad sanu again as their wide receiver too and tell me that they're they're trying to win this year i guess i just don't believe it i mean they the, just the, traded a second round pick for sanu so like <laughs> god that's not a good that's not a smart tanking move what did that pick ended up being what position in the second was that it was pick 52, I think. I'm just curious, like, what uh, I don't, wide I don't receivers know. were on the board uh, that they could have had instead Van, of Van Jefferson would have been Van Jefferson. <laughs> they probably uh, would have had the one to take Van Jefferson. <laughs> uh, Mims, Mims went after that pick. Um, yeah. Sh- what, what are your thoughts on Mims? So, Mims is a guy that, like, 2016, I would have been like, this guy's going to be the next Randy Moss. And then they're just – to me, there's – the if you stay at school for all four years i think you just immediately can't be an a prospect there's just there's something wrong with you if you have to have that final season (laughs) right there there's either there there just is you you understand you're not going to be a first round pick something is is going to set it up so that you're very unlikely to be a dominant nfl wide receiver that was just that was the most davis maddox that we started out with he could be randy moss too there's something fundamentally wrong with him as a human (laughs) The way and I not like as a think, human, as a player. <laughs> the way I like to think about it is, yeah, like as a junior, you were basically told that you're not going to be a high draft pick. So then you have to prove the scouts wrong, right, as a, as a senior. And so the guys that we've seen come out uh, as senior prospects and have turned into really big-time NFL players have generally been extremely productive over their career and usually wildly productive as seniors. Yeah. Uh, that – was not really the case with Mims. He was like good. He was good yeah. as a senior. Yeah. So I mean, he I, played. He him. played for a weird team. Like Baylor was just a, a weird team, and he was. I, I, if you want to, if you want to say the biggest red flag is that Jalen Hurd transferred to Baylor after Mims had a really strong sophomore season and immediately became their best player on offense, and he was a fifth round pick. I think Jalen Hurd was in the NFL draft and then, and then, you know, got hurt and didn't play at all as a rookie. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. It would be helpful to know how good Jalen Hurd is. Yeah. Pat, cause I heard you mention this on your pod with Adam, but uh, who would you rather have in dynasty Mims or Perriman? Well, I think you have to take Mims. Mims. Yeah. yeah. But I'd rather have Perriman in redraft for sure. For this year. Yeah. 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 Perriman is going to be, he looks kind of set up to have a nice season yeah i mean perriman is going to be like you do not pay a second round dynasty pick for perriman he's going to be cheaper than that but he's good i think if you want to bet against mims then getting perriman is the best way to do it 
Do we do we want to talk about any of these guys that the Ravens drafted at wide receiver? James James Proche and Devin Duvernay. I mean, they are they are trying to solve the wide receiver position because their wide receivers outside of Marquise Brown were were not good last year. You know, they need replacements for Willie Sneed and and Jaleel Scott and, and Chris Moore. I mean, is there is there anything there you think with with Devin Duvernay? Those guys aren't really good prospects to me, but Duvernay no. was pretty good out of the slot. So, and sometimes I think the guys. Like, when I look back at the dudes that I would have never seen coming, a lot of them played out of the slot in the NFL. And so I could see DuVernay being better than we think um, if that is his NFL fit. Fair enough. I mean, I, I think that just like the Ravens drafting a lot of fast guys, a la the Kansas City Chiefs, is sort of interesting. Devin DuVernay, I think he ran a 4-3-9. So just a, a, lot, of, a lot of terrifying speed with mm-hmm. Lamar. Um, I just, I'd like to, I think I'd like to end the show this way, Peter, just, just pour one out for justice Hill. There, there is no justice in Baltimore. It's, it's a really tough scene. Yeah. I mean, if we're looking back to uh, those uh, redrafts uh, last year, uh, late August, justice Hill, Darwin, Thompson. Dar- Darwin Thompson, seventh round, justice Hill, eighth round. And you just, you're feeling like you nailed it. You're just Darrell like, Henderson. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was brutal. It was brutal. Basically, every guy that we were drafting in the zero RB range is just like not even NFL relevant anymore. Yeah, like literally, <laughs> like their teams have already. I I sent a I sent a tweet to JJ yesterday asking like, oh, you know, do you consider any of these second round running backs, you know, dynasty or these second year running backs dynasty buys? And I I went to go just look at the twenty nineteen class, and it it is just a whole list of guys who are no good, who just like I mean, Damian Harris did not receive a carry and he yeah. was he was the 86th overall pick in the nfl draft yeah <laughs> how often does that happen pick, right? yeah hey, they're around hey, picks man don't be justin Keyshawn falling that high cam Akers, uh drafters yeah take a hard long look at yourself in the mirror <laughs> well i feel pretty fine about cam Akers. i think Akers was in a second at least but yeah Akers was a, a productive multi-year player at a power five school and his offensive line was terrible and the Rams offensive line is is terrible yeah that's a real nice continuity thing for him (laughs) yeah he'll be used to it do we think that the hate on the Rams of oh we Peter Peter has a hard out he's got to go back to his real job I don't have Um, a hard out I'm just sick of talking to you guys oh all right well fair enough (laughs) just Um, go ahead say your last thing say your last thing I don't even I I think the hate might have gone too far on the Rams I think that a large part not a large part a significant chunk of what is wrong with them is that they were designed to give touches to a running back who was like losing them value every single time he touched the ball. And I think they might be better this year without that happening. Pete, where did fantasy mansion take acres again in your rookie draft? He took him very aggressively. It was at one Oh, he had a, the one Oh six and one Oh seven and he took cam and Tua, and he took them over uh, Judy and lamb. Yeah. I don't think people are, uh, too bullish on the Rams if that's the ADP. over over I mean just taking taking acres over lamb is really bad but I, I think the right ranking for acres is like 108 I think that I think that it's appropriate yeah I, uh, I don't yeah I have them lower than that but I, I think that's defensible like acres acres versus swift I think is acres for sure and I don't think that's the way that it will be drafted ever basically 
Yeah, I mean, I think just in general, I mean, you see it, people post their dynasty rankings and it's just the running back position is so gross. It's so gross, which is completely true, but you don't combat that by then just drafting a bunch of running backs and hoping one of them pans out to be one of our generational bell cow backs. Like that's, it's gross for a reason because we should be investing in wide receivers. This is, this is the worst, the running back. I mean, I, I, I think there are eight guys you can project for more than 60% of their team's backfield work. And that's got to be, Pat, the lowest number it's ever been. Yeah, and, like, some of them aren't even that expensive right now. Like, if you want to go out and get James Conner, like, you can do it. Like, so why not just you draft the wide James receiver? Connor? I actually – well, I drafted him. I, I like, I like him, him. So I like him more now. I like him a lot more after this draft. Pat, say yeah, your I, thing about the points per game thing with running backs because I think it really summarizes it in a succinct way, like what happens with the running back valuations. Yeah, basically with running back, I see it as a game to get guys who can get me 20 points per game. And I don't want to pay for guys – You know, the guys who, who score like 15 points per game are often very expensive. I want to avoid paying for those guys as much as possible that are then – you know, they're capped before they can ever hit the 20. And then go – instead of getting that 15 class – Go get the older guys or the guys who are on one-year contracts like Todd Gurley or whatever who are going to get you like 13 points per game and cost way, way less. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Todd Gurley, James Conner, these dudes are available and they're going to be running back twos. They're going to be productive this year. There's no one behind Todd Gurley right now and people still don't want him, which is fine. I get all the red flags, but then, you know, you're going to take Keyshawn Vaughn like he's going to be this workhorse back. He's not. He's a third-round pick. He's not going to have a total workhorse role with Ronald Jones there. You know, he's still going to get the goal line work. So uh, I just, I think the running back market is really, really weird right now. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to the show. Follow the guys on Twitter at Peter Overzet at Pat Corain. I am, I am sure we will be back later this off season with more, with more takes for everyone and uh and oh, enjoy your Davis, oh. in, in case people miss it on twitter uh promote our our book club oh yeah we are doing book club uncanny valley we are doing that we're gonna we're gonna read it we are gonna chat with uh the laird our laird patrick laird who uh who just every day my my faith and relationship with the laird continues to grow peter it's been <laughs> it's been beautiful yeah and um, we're saying this too because if you want to order the book there is kind of a backlog on amazon with their their shipping stuff so if you want to read along with us and are trying to get a hard copy put in that order soon and we'll probably be meeting uh probably second third week of may uh to discuss the book if you'd like to join us beautiful all right everyone thank you for listening we'll be back chat to you guys soon Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.